Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be breaking down Sister Wives Season 4, Episode 11, Leaving the Nest. The episode opens with Cody explaining how Logan, his perfect child, according to Cody last episode, graduates from high school soon. Logan has been considering colleges and he has narrowed it down to two colleges. Logan is considering SUU in Southern Utah at Southern Utah University. Leo really wants Logan to go there because they want Logan to be happy. Logan's second choice is UNLV out of two, and it's just 20 minutes away. It's local, of course. Maddie wants Logan to opt for UNLV because she needs Logan in her life. Her life is going to end without him, Maddie says. Logan is Maddie's best friend, and Logan feels that some of his siblings and some of his moms really want him to hang around as the older brother figure, and Logan feels that's fine and dandy, but if he needs to be there for all of his siblings, he will be middle-aged before all of his brothers and sisters are out of the house and grown. Logan is visiting SUU today for a campus tour with his sisters, and Kotex is concerned that Logan's sisters will pit him against his father and that they're going to try and talk Logan into going to SUU, which is his top choice. Cody really wants Logan to live in their home and go to college locally. Cody is frustrated at his daughters encouraging their sibling Logan to do what's in his heart and to go to school where he wants to go. Cody asks his girls in frustration why they're trying to push Logan out of the house. He really doesn't know why they're advocating for Logan leaving the house so much and Cody's concerned. Most likely, I think Cody is most concerned for his wallet because if Logan decides to go to an out-of-state school and if he lives off campus or if he doesn't live in the home and go to school locally, it costs a lot more for Cody. Logan's sisters explain that Logan is moving away regardless. Even if he decides to attend UNLV, he wants to live independently. He wants to get out of the house. And I don't blame him. Logan stresses to his dad that he is planning on moving out regardless of where he attends college. He really wants to spread his wings. He won't be in the house either way, even if he stays local. And he makes this clear to Cody. Cody of course, tries to manipulate Logan. And he asks Logan, you won't stay home, not even if we get the new houses? Logan explains to his dad that if they get him a room and his own office, maybe he'll consider it. This guy wants to be like all of the kids his age and he wants to be free and like any other 18-year-old. He's wise beyond his years. He seems very mature and very wise. He was parentified at an early age and he took on a lot of extra responsibility. If the guy wants an independent life and to be free from the responsibility of being parentified towards his siblings, he should have that opportunity and he should be encouraged to pick whatever college and whatever living situation he sees fit with no pressure from anyone. Logan is a really good kid. He's exemplary. And it looks to me like Cody wants to penny pinch. Cody doesn't necessarily want to sever the reins. Cody dangles some bait for Logan. Perhaps he'll change his mind. He lets Logan know that he and Janelle are looking at a house. 
Madison is going to convince Janelle to buy this big house because it has an office and a room specifically for Logan. And when Janelle and Maddie saw this house and they looked at this house, they assumed that Logan could take a specific room and office in the model home. Logan says he knows his dad wants him to stay in Vegas and he wants him to go to UNLV. And Cody lets Logan know he thinks Utah is a hick community all together. He really doesn't want Logan going to SUU. Is it about the checkbook? Is it about the cost? Or is it about something else? Cody is openly discouraging Logan from his first choice. And Logan says he thinks his mom is much more flexible and she wants what he wants. Logan doesn't know if he believes it fully, but he's going to go with it. Janelle lets Logan know that there is a major factor for her with SUU. Janelle has been very concerned about Logan's religious direction. Logan is frustrated, but he is ready to be lectured. He knows it's coming on. And Janelle points out that they've already discussed this before many times, but this is important to her. And Cody is frustrated. He's wanting to know why Janelle is pushing Logan to the mainstream Mormon LDS church. Remember, Janelle used to be Mormon herself, and she converted to the FLDS, or Mormon fundamentalism, when she decided to join the family. And Cody also used to be Mormon. Now, SUU is in an area that is predominantly Mormon, and it's not an LDS university officially, but a lot of the students are Mormon. So apparently, Janelle doesn't mind Logan having exposure to mainstream Mormonism, but Cody does. And Cody, of course, was LDS as well. He served a mission before returning home to find out his parents had converted to the FLDS. Now, when Cody asks why Janelle is pushing Mormonism on Logan, Janelle says it's because there is no other That's the closest thing to their religion. That's what he would be surrounded by at SUU. Cody interrupts Janelle. He asks her why she's pushing Logan, but he won't wait to hear Janelle's answer. He interrupts her mid-sentence. And he tells Janelle the obvious. Logan is a plague kid. Janelle tells Cody that Logan has a better chance of being connected to the Mormon religion if he goes to a school that is predominantly Mormon. Now, a lot of the basic tenets and fundamental beliefs of the LDS, the mainstream Mormons, and the fundamentalist Mormons are the same. However, of course, the LDS do not accept or believe in or condone plural marriage at all, as well as some other antiquated views that the FLDS still hold on to. So Janelle wouldn't mind Logan having some exposure to their basic beliefs and she feels like he might be able to connect and have a religious path that way. She's worried about him having religion in his life. And Cody is saying, no, no, no. Why push this on him? Why expose him to this? The mainstream Mormon church, the LDS, don't accept us. Cody interrupts Janelle and he explains to her that even though SUU is predominantly Mormon, they aren't Mormon. They are FLDS. They are an FLDS family and they're fundamentalist Mormon. It's an offshoot of mainstream Mormonism. And although a lot of the doctrines are the same and a lot of the tenets are the same of the LDS and the FLDS faith, 
Where they divert is plural marriage. The LDS forbade plural marriage long ago and they stopped its practice. And the FLDS, Cody's religion, practices polygamy and the LDS aren't accepting at all of the FLDS. There is a lot of resentment based on that difference. I'm sure you guys remember Ken, Cody's LDS friend, who told Cody to leave three of his wives but keep one and save his soul. So this is a huge issue and Cody has an issue with Logan going towards Mormonism because he, I think, thinks that Logan won't be fully accepted by the Mormons. And of course, in later seasons, we learn that Maddie and McKelty, they married Mormon men and they tried to convert themselves to join their husband's church, but they were not allowed in on the show at least because of their parents being FLDS and practicing polygamy. So Janelle would prefer Logan have some religion and the LDS is very similar to their religion minus the practice of polygamy. And Cody feels it's not okay. Logan won't be accepted by the Mormons and they shouldn't push him. Cody says the Mormons can't even tolerate them. And he says they can't tolerate us. But as Cody complains that he isn't tolerated, his faith doesn't allow anyone who isn't white to be a part of their church or hold priesthood positions, leadership positions. So as Cody bitches about tolerance, they don't tolerate us. The Mormons don't accept us. The FLDS also don't tolerate anyone who isn't white in their faith and in their church. Cody tells Logan he has several days and he can convince him to stay here in Vegas. And Logan says as soon as he is 18, he's gone and it's his life. Logan really wants to cut the cord. He wants some independence. He wants some freedom. And after being parentified for so long and having all that responsibility, who could really blame the guy? Cody's frustrated and he puts off the discussion for another time. And he says everyone's going to be late for their campus tour. Logan has always been a fan of SUU and he looks so forward to seeing SUU in person. So Logan and his sisters are going to go drive to SUU and tour the campus. Logan explains to his sisters on the drive to the college tour that part of him just wants to ditch school completely to be a labor guy in Wyoming. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Logan feels being raised in a polygamous family does define him a little bit. There are certain aspects to that. He has learned more than other kids, like having to deal with so many family members and these different ideas. 
Logan thinks, people think, since he is the oldest of a polygamous family, that he is automatically supposed to be a polygamist. But Logan is here to say that is not the case. And he says that's still totally up in the air. Of course, Logan is married now. He's a monogamist, obviously. Cody laments that Logan is off to college now and he wants Logan to have an education. He says they have always advocated for that and he has never wanted his kids to leave home, though, as far as living when they seek their higher educations. Cody says he has a lot of emotional anxiety about Logan leaving the house and it's hard for him to cope with. Now, isn't it interesting when we juxtapose Cody dealing with the emotional anxiety because Logan will be leaving the house with him trying so hard to push Gabe and Garrison out, going so far as to wish he could evict his sons, regretting that his name wasn't on Janelle's lease and he didn't have the power to evict them when they wouldn't bow down and kiss the ring and follow King Cody's Rona rules. He really regretted that he didn't have the power to evict his sons. His words were something to the effect of, Gabe and Garrison are 18. I've done all I can for them. When I was 18, I had a car and my dad gave me 50 bucks. It was something like that. Because Gabe and Garrison wouldn't submit to Cody's demands surrounding the Rona and they refused to bend to kiss the ring of his ramen-haired royal highness and the cap-in-hand angel customer service queen. They refused to apologize. But here, Cody battles anxiety knowing Logan is leaving the home. And it's not even in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Cody's biggest concern is that he hasn't given Logan a strong enough religious foundation. Janelle worries that somehow Logan won't find any religion at all because she knows how important religion is to her life and she has a testimony of what she is doing. I wonder how she feels about it now. Cody is concerned about whether he has done right by Logan. Logan, Aspen, Maddie, and Leo arrive at SUU for their campus tour. Logan really liked the SUU campus. He was full of life and enthusiastic during this tour. He was excited about this. He thought the scenery was amazing and he felt like there was a community there. He says, almost like a family, kind of. Leo thought SUU was nice. Aspen, however, thinks SUU is a boring little hick college. Logan really liked the tour guide, Sydney. He says she was an excellent tour guide and Logan feels you can tell that she really had conviction for her school. Sydney can't say that she has ever had a conversation with a family of polygamists. She comes from a monogamous family and she had one father and one mother and that's the value system she was raised by. Sydney really didn't know what to expect with the Browns. She knew they weren't the French braids and clothes down to your ankles and wrists type of polygamists. But she was surprised to know that they were just like she is. Logan feels the pluses for SUU are a smaller class size. And also, it's out of town, so Logan doesn't have to live under the cloak of his parents anymore. This guy is suffocating. He is dying to be free. Logan cares about his family, he says, but they're a distraction sometimes. 
Logan feels if his family isn't around, then he doesn't have to worry about them. Because if he isn't around, there isn't really much he can do about anything. Logan is really afraid that if he stays in Vegas, his family would use the closeness he has with them as a justification to always see him. And Logan thinks if he went to SUU, his family would have no choice but to leave him to his own devices. Logan's 18. He's a man now. He wants to be free. He wants some independence. He doesn't want to be the person everyone relies on to fill in the gaps with the care and the love and the attention in the family. He wants to be free. He wants to do school. He wants to do his own life. He doesn't want to feel like he has a chain around his ankle. I totally get it. Logan really just wants freedom. He wants to make his own life and he wants to make his own choices. And he wants to feel like an individual in the world. He wants to be free from the weight of his family and the responsibilities of being parentified and of taking care of his family and of his siblings. I don't think he wants to be distracted. He wants to focus on himself. And he should. He deserves this. And he should feel like his family wants him to have that freedom and independence just as much as he does. I really don't think Cody should pressure Logan to choose UNLV or living at home if Logan has a desire to be a normal college kid and to be free and to make his own choices, to be as independent as possible. And Cody shouldn't really be pressuring Logan or trying to bait him or manipulate him in any way with homes or with anything else. Logan gives a lot to his family. He sacrifices a lot and he's a wonderful sibling. He's a wonderful kid. So they should just give Logan this without any pressure. Next this episode, Cody and his wives head to the property with Mona to check out the model home today. Christine loves the model home. She thinks it's huge. Christine says they walk into this model home and she hears the angels are singing because it's just so beautiful. As Christine appreciates the open space, she vocalizes angel singing and she wasn't this moved when she heard the angels singing in Flagstaff. This time it's from the heart. Cody imagines where they could put a long table for Thanksgiving. Everyone's really excited. Mary checks out the bathtub and she agrees she could totally live in this house. Cody complains that Mary has always had expensive taste. There hasn't been talk of wet bars yet, but it'll come up. The first mention comes at the end of this episode, I believe. Christine points out that they could add a seventh bedroom in this house. Mary points out that she would have so much fun in a house this big. And the size of Mary's house will come up a lot in a little bit. Now, when Mary says she would have so much fun in a house this big, Cody retorts that she would just fill this huge house up with more stuff. And Mary agrees. Yeah, she would. She thinks Cody's right about that. Janelle feels the model house is just too big. It's too much with all the bonus rooms and stuff. Janelle, the practical one, wonders how the hell they're going to afford this. Cody tells Janelle that she has six kids. Not they have six children. She does. He says, you have six kids as if they're not his kids. And Cody tells Janelle she needs this size home right here. She needs this. Janelle disagrees and she says her budget can't afford this house. 
Now, Janelle is the financial wife, the budget wife, the wife who makes the dollars and cents for the family work. And she knows that this is out of their range. And she knows she and Cody are the ones who are going to have to ultimately figure this out to be able to handle everyone financially to get these homes. Christine isn't worried about the budget. She adds that Janelle... Her kids could have more space in a home this size. So there's going to be less fighting. There's going to be less stress in a bigger house. Christine knows that the finances are an issue, but that's one part of it. The rest of their life is the other part of it. And getting the four of them back together again and getting the kids back together again, having Logan have a place to come home to, a place to come back to, that might help Logan decide to stay home for college, Christine feels. Now, Mona wants to know how bad the Browns want it. That's her question to them. How bad do you want this? Mona, the realtor, warns them that they have very little time to get everything done. And if they wait too long, the builder might already have other people for these lots and they can't afford to lose one house over there if they want four houses next to each other. Now, Cody realizes they're checking themselves with this, and Cody is looking at this model home thinking, holy cow, and he realizes he has to start believing that he deserves more than a dirt farm. And he says, there is something psychological about this. If you can't believe that you're going to be there, then you never will be. And he says, it doesn't just happen to achieve this. So Cody is sitting here trying to move their psychology, and he means their mindset, to get to, hey, listen, we can all do this. He wants everyone to believe it's possible so they get there. Cody, the picture of emotional well-being, is going to advise his wives on how to have a positive attitude and a positive mindset and a belief in themselves to make them believe that, yes, they can achieve this. Over at Robbins, the sister wives and Cody come over because Brandon, the jeweler, has the prototypes ready today and he has something he worked on for them to approve or make suggestions on. So they're going to go over to his store. Brandon Adams is the family jeweler and he's going to be the manufacturer for my sister wife's closet, their business, Robbins Dream, of course. So Cody and the wives head to Brandon's jewelry business to see the prototypes of their designs. Christine has her doubts, especially with the way the rings are designed with the two S's you put together and it makes a W, an S and a W, once you put the two S's together, it doesn't look like it makes a W. Those two curved S's almost look like they are making cleavage, frankly. And Christine is very hesitant about the design. She doesn't know how it will come together and she's nervous. She doesn't know if she will like it, and she knows she'll act like she likes it, she'll act like she likes all the pieces in the prototypes, when inside she thinks, oh, that's really dumb. Christine's main concerns are the designs. Robin's designs, her doodles, that looked like a kid scribbled them in kindergarten class in a notebook that they are basing these prototypes off of. I can understand Christine's concern. Robin tells Christine they can't fake it. They have to be honest. They have to be upfront because this is their business after all. This is Robin's dream. 
Robin is ecstatic, of course. She's very excited. Her voice is sing-songy about this. She is excited in the confessional scene with all the wives and Cody. Mary looks over at Goblin and she tells her, if mama ain't happy, then nobody's happy. And there are four mamas here. Christine feigns over-enthusiasm when she walks into Brandon's jewelry store and Robin does a little dancey waddle that's supposed to be a happy dance. It just looks like she's constipated. Brandon shows Robin her prototype ring and her response is cool and she is all smiles. I have very rarely seen her smile that big. She is so happy about this dream coming to fruition and raking in the millions, the big bucks, because she's a celebrity. Christine isn't as pleased with the ring as Robin is. Christine is biting her lip, looking seriously at it. She doesn't obviously like it that much. Cody doesn't really look that crazy about it. You could tell that he is going to have to put on a show for Robin's sake. Robin is the only one smiling. Everyone else looks genuinely concerned. I feel like the sister wives know that Robin's drawings and designs are amateurish and stupid, and they are super concerned about splurging on all this bullshit. It's two rings with S's that lock, and they make an SW. Christine gets out, oh, that's beautiful, but it doesn't really sound convincing. It sounds like she's just saying the words. It legit looks like cleavage. It doesn't look like an SW. It looks almost like the outline of cleavage. Like it could be a breast cancer awareness ring if you just throw in a pink ribbon somewhere and make it rose gold. Cody explains that the first prototype that got them all excited was the ring and how Brandon designed it to come together. It looks like it came from the sale bin at Claire's or icing, to be honest. It just looks very cheapo, like it would come on one of those little cardboard squares that you get from like Claire's or icing, those little costume jewelry stores that like preteens go to. Later, Christine says the ring rocked and she wants to make it clear because she knows she didn't say it before. She didn't show enough deference and enthusiasm to Robin. So here she wants to make it clear the ring rocked. And Cody says the ring was cool. And Mary and Janelle both think it's really, really cool. Robin is really pleased with herself. She is all smiles and you can tell she is so pleased. She explains that some of the pieces they are doing have to do with their relationships as sister wives and who they are as a family. And she thinks maybe people don't buy into it and she doesn't know. She doesn't know if everyone wants an SW ring. Mary points out that women might want a strong woman ring, if not a sister-wife ring. And Janelle suggests, or maybe it's a friendship ring, a best friend's ring. They're all over the place with how the fuck they're going to market this piece of junk. Now it's gone from a sister-wife ring to a strong woman ring, to a friendship ring, to a best friend's ring. And Cody suggests, well, SW, it could just be a super-wife ring. Janelle says they aren't marketing to a sister-wife. She says... There is a term that women use and it's for their best friend and they can call their best friend their sister wife. And Robin says they act in that role of sister wives. They do everything except for sharing a husband. They'll be besties who sit there. They take care of each other's kids and they help each other out and they're best friends. That's who they are marketing to. Robin thinks it's so cool and she is getting goosebumps. She is so moved by her creation, by her prototype. Mary points out that the words are love, 
loyalty, and friendship. And she wonders who love, loyalty, and friendship wouldn't apply to in the world. She thinks love, loyalty, and friendship apply to everyone in every relationship. Brandon suggests to Cody that he can make a larger size for men or for more masculine sister wives who want a more masculine ring, he jokes. And Cody jokes maybe for a brother husband ring or a bro ring maybe. An alpha male decoder ring, grrr. Logan loves SUU and he is really leaning towards SUU a lot. It's his top choice so far. He's still going to check out UNLV. He might go there because the campus still appeals to him, but he really loves SUU. So far, Maddie says Logan is her best friend and she is sad he is going to college, but he likes SUU a lot and Maddie would rather see Logan happy going to SUU where he wants to go than to have him sticking around going somewhere where he isn't happy. Finally, his sister, his bestie, would prefer Logan's happiness and Logan picking the farther college if it means Logan being happy despite the distance and the loss for her. Maddie points out that their mom wants Logan to go to SUU. And Logan says his mom wants him to go to do the seminary for the LDS. And Aspen asks Logan, but does he want that? Now, what I love about the siblings is they all look out for each other and what they want and what would make them happy, even if it's separate from what the parents want for them. So Aspen asks, do you want that, Logan? Logan says he is going to go to the Institute and do the religious thing for his mom. He doesn't care to really do it for himself right now, but he's doing it for his mom. Maddie tells Logan that their dad really wants him to go to UNLV. That's what he's pushing for. And she says Cody has this fantasy that they're going to all live at home and they're all going to go to UNLV and they will live at home until they're done with college and until they are married and they are all embracing his faith. Aspen laughs at this idea and Logan responds like that's going to ever happen. So Cody has this idea that all of his kids will stay local that they'll all live at home until they get married. They're all going to adopt his faith. He has this very ideal picture in his head that, of course, is never even going to happen. Logan explains that tomorrow after school that he's going to go with his mom and dad to tour UNLV. And next, the wives and Cody head to the Mexican restaurant they always film at. They go for lunch. And Janelle mentions how because they're getting close to the homes and the builder is anxious for them to make a gesture or a decision on the homes, she suggests that what they can do is put down earnest money on the homes and they can write a contract that gives them 30 days to get their financing pre-approval to get the financing in order so that they don't have to worry about any of the homes getting snagged up. Janelle says that Mona warned her how there is a lot of interest in the property, so If they're interested, it's time to put money down and do the earnest money agreement to hold the properties. So now it's time to go into the contract stage and put some cash down. Cody says the properties are selling off, so they had to make the decision before somebody snaps them up. And since they need four lots right next door to each other, if one property sells, it's game over. So This is a confessional scene and Robin is glaring. She looks serious. She looks pissy. 
Like she really doesn't agree with this. I don't think she really wanted to spend money from her own account, her personal account, putting any money into this, but she's going to have to. Janelle worries it's not like they're putting $100 down on these homes. They're putting down a considerable chunk, a huge chunk of money. Janelle explains to the wives and Cody that they know what their situation is. They know what the cash flow is like. It's a lot of money, but they want these homes so badly and they have discussed moving heaven and earth to get them. And this might be one of those moments when they may crunch out and they're going to have to move heaven and earth to make this go, even if they have to be dead broke. Cody says they have been really successful with their network marketing business and they are really trying to bring other businesses online to be able to pay for this. And he highlights, especially my sister wife's closet. Cody says these are all necessary for their family to be able to afford the four homes. That's why they have to do so many things. And it's a big struggle to pay all of these mortgages. What's interesting is Janelle from the start knew that My Sister Wife's Closet was more of a niche hobby business, that it couldn't be a big earner, a big source of income that she foresaw being a money tree that could really sustain the family or bring in a lot of profit in a big way. It's more of a niche hobby business. And she's mentioned this on the show a little bit later on. So it's really interesting that Cody is saying that they need My Sister Wife's Closet. He's hoping that it's like, something that they can really pin their hopes on, that they're going to be able to make this money to pay off these homes. Anyone with two brain cells to rub together can see my sister wife's closet isn't going to be more than a small business at best. It's not something that's really going to be able to significantly sustain the family in any type of major way. So it's going to be a huge struggle to pay off all of these mortgages. And Cody just realized the other night when he pulled his hair out. He was going nuts. He was feeling really anxious because he hadn't seen some of his kids in a very long time. Cody felt like he really needed to go and see everybody, all of his kids, all of his family. And the four houses, the separate rentals were too far apart. They were too far apart for Cody to conveniently see everybody. So Cody was anxious and he thinks even if they sacrificed vacations completely, if they had to, to do this, It's important to do this. Janelle just wants to make this happen for their family because they felt like this was so important and now they have to put their money here where their mouth is. It's scary, but if they can get their financing in order, they will be able to secure their right to put an offer on these homes with earnest money. Cody agrees with Janelle that they do this. They make an offer on the homes and they tell their kids that they are making an offer. He is inviting all of his wives to commit and he asks who of his wives is willing to commit to the homes. Cody asks what the vote would be if they were to vote now. Cody wants them to make a decision like on a jury. He wants to know what the decision would be. Cody explains that Janelle got news from Mona on the homes and it was important to discuss this immediately. And the discussion got passionate as usual with the Brown family. Cody brings up Christine's misgivings about the homes. Christine is nervous and Cody points out that in Utah, they were mortgage poor. There was a time 
it got very scary and it tightened them up financially. They were broke. And Christine complains she couldn't even go visit her dad. Not only that, she couldn't even go visit her dad for years, all because of their dire financial situation. Cody asks Christine, but wasn't that the best experience we ever had? Wasn't it well worth it? And Christine responds hesitantly with yes, but she says it with a lot of hesitation. She's like, yes, well, that makes me wonder because Christine's family lived in Utah, not that far from them. So maybe they lived in another part of Utah, but it couldn't be that far from Lehigh to the point where Christine couldn't regularly visit her father. So was the reason Christine couldn't visit her dad for years about the distance or maybe because they borrowed money from her dad to be in that Lehigh house and maybe Cody couldn't pay her dad back? I'm just wildly speculating. I'm just guessing about why Christine couldn't see her father for years when supposedly he lived in Utah not that far from them. Why she couldn't make the visit. Gas money is expensive, but not that expensive if you're within the same state and you really want to visit your family member. So if she couldn't visit him for years, was it just because they were broke or was it because she owed her dad money Cody couldn't pay him back? And that's just a guess on my part. The way Cody mentions it and the way Christine responds during this conversation makes me feel that this wasn't about her not physically being able to afford driving to her dad who was living in the same state, but maybe it was about her not being able to see her dad for years because maybe they owed him a lot of money and Cody couldn't pay him back for a while. Why else had it been years since Christine saw her dad as a result of their financial issues and being mortgage poor when Christine and her family lived in the same state. So how much was Christine's family involved in helping Cody secure the Lehigh house, I wonder. Christine says that she can picture herself living in the home and how wonderful it is and having this big, huge home and having family things there, gatherings, and the idea of it is great. But talking about the financial side of it, Christine wants absolutely nothing to do with these homes. Cody admits that the family culture has eroded significantly because the family hasn't been together and he doesn't think vacation even matters and having to cut out vacations completely when you have that happen and the family hasn't been together and they aren't connected and then it erodes the family culture. So Cody thinks a good sacrifice is cutting off the vacations and Christine thinks it's a scary ride to take And Cody feels that it's scary to Christine because of the commitment that it is to commit to this. And he says they are talking about having homes where they are next to each other and reestablishing their family culture. And reestablishing their family culture is more important than anything else. And he asks Christine if that makes sense to her. He says that's all he is talking about. Cody tells Christine if she wants to go on a vacation, she can always save her grocery money for it, but he is personally not willing to continue living like they have been living. Cody seems to be suggesting that Christine isn't willing to do this because she's trying to be a princess who doesn't want to sacrifice her vacations for that year, but I really think 
that she has a lot of anxiety and trauma surrounding this money that they're going to have to owe because I believe, and I'm just guessing on this, I have no receipts to back this up whatsoever, but the way she reacted about not being able to see her father for years when he lived in the same state makes me feel like maybe Cody or Christina had to borrow a lot of money from him and she wasn't able to see him for years and it created resentment and a lot of issues maybe because they weren't able to pay him back and it was a struggle and so she wasn't able to visit. I don't know how true that is, but Christine seemed like very emotional and very almost traumatized and stressed by this financially because I feel like she's remembering that pastime with the house in Lehigh and the problems it caused and the fractures in relationships and the issues. And I think that's what she might be concerned about. I don't think this has anything to do with Christine wanting to take a vacation and having to sacrifice that at all. Now, Cody really understands that the family culture is eroding, the dynamics are changing, the connections are changing, and he feels like it's because they have to be together. But during the Rona, look at all the lengths Cody went to to control his family to avoid seeing them at all costs, no matter what, even if they made accommodations for his ridiculous protocols, he still found reasons to avoid being there for his family when they needed him the most. So this idea of the family culture eroding because they couldn't be together, when they had that togetherness and they had their little corner of the world and they had their cul-de-sac, even then, we learn from Christine later on when she leaves Cody, things weren't so hot back then. He had issues even back then. And during the Rona, the whole world was struggling with the pandemic. Cody refused to be there. He put on control. He put on rules. He wanted to be a dictator. And even when his kids tried to create situations and the moms tried to create situations where Cody could still abide by his protocols and maybe spend time with some of his kids, like, for example, seeing Isabel in the backyard if she chose to attend school or attending her major surgery, Cody found excuses and reasons upon reasons why he wasn't willing to inconvenience himself, why he couldn't do it. But remember, he had absolutely no problem attending that wedding to officiate in the middle of the Rona when he was going to be in the limelight eating it up. So Cody lets Christine know he will not live the way he has been living. He can't do it anymore. In confessional, Robin coaches Cody right in front of Christine and in front of all the wives. And she tells Cody, maybe it's just a matter of him saying to Christine, I know, sweetheart, it's scary, but it's worth it. It's worth it, right? We should do this to encourage Christine. And what's ridiculous is and very condescending is Robin is telling Cody this in front of Christine and in front of all of her sister wives. Coaching Kotex, advising him openly on how he should interact with Christine to appease her in front of her. Back at lunch, Cody asks, who wants to chime in? If they were deciding right now, Cody wants to know where everyone stands. Robin wants to be the best customer. She wants to best customer the fuck out of her Kotex. So she is the first to throw her hand up and be the teacher's pet, and she declares enthusiastically that she would do it of course she knows that she has aliases and debt and bankruptcy at this point so financially she knows she isn't really on the line and the other wives and cody are going to have to cover her and of course 
My sister wife's closet, what Cody was counting on as a source of income for the family, was a huge loss for the family, which was Robin's dream. So if anything, financially, Robin was a huge liability and a drain on the wives and Cody and on the bigger family. But of course, Robin is the first one raising her hand. She is down. She wants to do this. Janelle would do it for sure. Mary doesn't know. And Robin wants to know what Mary's hesitation is about putting money down on the homes. Mary is in tears. She's crying. Her hesitation is the judgment. Mary fears that she will get from many people, including her own family members, a lot of criticism, a lot of flack regarding the size of her home because she has one child who will be moving away to college in a year. And Mary says figuring out her home causes her a lot of anxiety, but they can do it. She could do this. Cody is very cynical. I don't think he understands why Mary is emotional. Cody cynically thanks Mary for the enthusiasm. He's pissed that she's in tears and she's not fully gung-ho about this. And he says he feels like he pushed Mary over the cliff. Cody says Mary is saying yes, but she's not saying yes. And he wonders, is the answer no for Mary? Mary says this goes into a lot more than this conversation right here. And she says, it's obvious that she doesn't need a home as big as everybody else's. But she has had many conversations in the past with people where it has been made clear to her that she doesn't need this big of a home and she shouldn't be choosing it. Mary points out that if she had her say, she would have needed a seven-bedroom home. She would have needed a home as big as that model home they saw because she would have had eight kids herself. That's what she wanted and that's what her plan was, but that's not the cards that she got dealt. And Mary's in tears and she feels like there have been many times in her life when she has felt punished because of that, because she has only had one child and because she's had one child, maybe in certain areas she gets less than the other wives who need more space. They might need more income, things like that. So she has felt punished because of that, because maybe there are times where she gets less or if she wants to get the same as the other wives and equal and have everything equitable that perhaps some of the wives criticize her or other people criticize her and say, well, hold on, it's only you and Leo. I have six kids, you have one kid. And so she has felt punished because of that. Cody tells Mary that if that's how she feels, then they won't do this. Mary says she isn't saying no. She's saying, no, let's do this. She just doesn't want to be criticized. Cody tells Mary that she is being pushed into doing it and he isn't going to do this unless everybody is in agreement that this is the best thing for their family. And Cody lets Mary know he thinks this is the best thing for their family. In tears in confessional, Mary brings up a conversation that she had with Cody the other night. Apparently, Cody told Mary he thought she wanted a seven-bedroom house the other night, and Mary told Cody that she doesn't want that. She doesn't need that. Cody thinks that he should be allowed if it's going to be their house, both his house and Mary's house, he feels that he should be allowed to have his say as well. Mary says she has never said that Cody shouldn't have a say. Cody says that he feels like when Mary talks about the house, it's always about what she is going to get. It's never about anything having to do with him. And Mary tells Cody she is 100% for him. 
having a conversation with her about what their house is going to be like, but she needs for him to be in the conversation with just herself and him individually without him bringing other conversations and other people's perspectives into it. Now, this is a confessional scene with Cody and the four wives. And when Mary mentions Cody bringing in other conversations and other people's opinions that Cody mentions, it's about Janelle because Janelle is glaring. She looks serious and you can cut the tension with a knife. You can feel the tension when Mary alludes to it. Also, Janelle is the most practical wife who will be wondering why the family has to get Mary the bigger home when Mary could easily take a smaller home and spend less of the family budget on it. Cody probably brings this up to Mary and understandably, I'm sure this is a sore point for Mary because Mary wishes that she had enough kids to fill that seven bedroom house and she can't. And as a wife, I'm sure Mary wants the same as the other wives get, regardless of the number of kids she has. And she seems willing to have less space. She probably just wants financial equity with the other wives and not to be criticized or expected to take less just because she couldn't have more kids. And this also rubs in her face that she wishes she could have had more kids and her other sister wives do, and no one judges them for getting the bigger house. Mary wishes that she needed that bigger house, and she doesn't want to be judged for getting the same as the rest, with the excuse being, well, she shouldn't have that because she only has one kid. Mary tells Cody that she is a different person than every one of these other people, and she deserves to be treated as a different person, and she deserves not to be judged on other people's thoughts or how many children she has versus how many children they have. Cody agrees. He thinks it's fair as long as Mary isn't trying to fill the void of a lack of children with having more bedrooms. Mary insists that she doesn't need more bedrooms, but, and this is the first time we hear the word wet bar, but she might want a wet bar or deck. So Mary doesn't need more bedrooms, but she might want a wet bar or a deck. Mary is willing to do it, but she knows that she will get a lot of kickback and a lot of criticism on it if she does this. See, the issue is Janelle is the one who will end up pitching in the most financially along with Cody. So she is the one who is financially swinging Mary's extra rooms that she doesn't need or her wet bar or her deck. That's probably why Janelle is so frustrated by this, because she is the one who will ultimately be footing the bill. It's not Mary paying for her own wet bar necessarily. Janelle says that she hears from her kids. Why is Mary getting such a big house? You know, since Mary only has one kid and Janelle has six kids. And obviously, I think they know that their mom is the primary breadwinner who has to cover all this stuff. When easily, if Mary took a smaller house, the family would have more money for resources and things for the kids in a situation where it's precarious financially and the squeakiest wheel gets the grease per Cody. Janelle mentions how she has felt in the past that if she was trying to conserve financially for the family, that some of her sister wives wouldn't conserve. They would end up splurging on expensive things. And Mary says, Janelle made her thoughts clear when Mary rented her house in Vegas. 
Nell explains that back then their financial situation was dire. Their financial situation was desperate. And Janelle felt like Mary was taking resources from the family that the family could use, that the family needed just to have a bigger house. And she didn't really need all of that space. Mary apologizes to Janelle. She's very bitter about this. She says she apologizes for taking something that Janelle thought was hers. Janelle clarifies that she isn't saying Mary was taking what was hers. It was for the family. It took from the family's finances, from the family's money, from the family's budget for Mary to have that house that was bigger than what she needed and had more amenities than she needed. Janelle explains their situation was desperate back then financially, and she remembers being so concerned about Mary's need to have this home that had a pool and everything when she was worrying, wondering how she was even going to feed her kids. And let's remember, Janelle is the financial backbone of this family, the primary breadwinner, along with Cody, who also helps her out. But I believe Janelle really is the primary breadwinner. And Janelle is the one who has to make the dollars and cents work. She's struggling to feed her kids, wondering how she's going to manage, how everyone is going to finagle off this limited budget. When they move to Vegas, she doesn't have a job. Everyone's still finding their footing. They don't have a lot of money to play with. And Mary is getting this excessively big house for two people that has a pool and extra stuff that she doesn't necessarily need when the family could use that money and they could have saved on Mary renting that huge house. Mary admits to everyone that she has expensive taste. She gets very bitter here and she tells Janelle she may have expensive taste, but she takes care of her things so her things last. It was as if Janelle wastes her things or Janelle doesn't know how to take care of her things. It was a very critical way of putting it. And the tone in which Mary said this to Janelle was incredibly critical of Janelle. And Janelle explains that she doesn't have that attitude. She is comfortable letting her kids play in the house. Now, this goes back to the friction between Janelle and Mary in the past. We can recall incidents of Mary refusing to let The kids in the family walk through her area to access the basement door to Christine's in the big house in Lehigh. So the kids would have to walk outside in the cold and ice and snow up and down stairs to access the basement area rather than going through Mary's section. And Mary was very particular about her furniture and it caused a lot of issues. And she even went too far with disciplining some of the kids and the kids didn't all feel comfortable in her unit all the time because of her strict rules. Now, Janelle is the primary breadwinner. She's responsible for the dollars and cents ultimately in the family. And she had to spend her money that can go to the kids in the family on Mary and her wet bar and Mary and her rental that's too big with the unnecessary pool. And that probably creates a lot of resentment and that's understandable. Mary has expensive tastes that Janelle and Cody paid for. And it doesn't matter how good Mary is with her things. That's money that is taken from the kids in the family, ultimately in a situation where the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, as Kotick says, and they're in a very dire situation at times. Mary says she wants to have the home. She wants the home. She just doesn't want everything that comes along with the home financially and emotionally. At this point, Christine takes accountability and she apologizes to Mary 
for thinking that Mary should have a smaller house at times. And she tells Mary that Mary is right and she has thought that that Mary should maybe have a smaller home to save money so the family had more money for the kids. And she is sorry. Mary deserves the same as them because Mary is in tears. She's very upset by this. She feels she deserves the same house, the same amount of rent as all the rest of the wives. And in reality, everything should be equal. She does deserve the same even though she had one child. But also, when they're in a situation where they can't ultimately afford everything and Mary having equal and having the bigger house even when she could easily fit in a smaller space with less amenities and it not be a hardship for her so that the kids can have everything they need I mean it's a situation where does she really want to stick to insisting on the bigger house that she doesn't need with more rooms to clean or would she be able to sacrifice to give more so that the kids have more Christine is a lady she apologizes and she's very sorry she can tell how hurt Mary feels by this Because Mary is taking it as being penalized for only having one child. Janelle adds that her perspective has changed when she finally began to hear Mary express that she didn't feel like she should be penalized for only having one child. And Janelle agrees. She didn't realize Mary saw it that way. She says Mary shouldn't be penalized for only having one child. Janelle had never thought about that flip side. Her brain wouldn't judge Mary for having the size of home. Janelle doesn't care what that looks like for everybody else. It's just about finding what is equal for everyone. So she understands that now that everyone needs to have equal. So they all feel like they are taken care of. So Mary agrees to proceed. And Cody has Janelle call Mona to tell Mona, their realtor, that they will do the earnest money agreement. Mary's upset. She's very emotional. And she complains that this doesn't feel exciting And it doesn't feel like it should. Robin thinks about Mary with Leo and she wonders, what would Mary be like? What would Leo be like? What would Mary's life entail if she had had more children? Robin thinks about how much fulfillment her own children give her. And she says that is why she offered surrogacy to Mary because she wanted Mary to have that choice. Robin didn't want that choice to be taken away from Mary anymore. So she wants to give this to Mary because Robin loves her kids so much. And here Robin scrunches up her face. She wants to get emotional and she asks, what would Mary be like? What would Leo be like? And how much fulfillment would Mary's other children bring her had she had more kids? Robin says Mary talks about having nice things, but she doesn't have kids who would be able to break those things. And that's why Mary has nice things. Robin asks, would Mary have those nice things anymore if she had kids? Or would there be scratch marks of when a little boy scratched his name in? So Robin is emotional, scrunching up her face, talking in a breathy way as if she's on the verge of tears, as if she's crying. Imagining what it would be like if Mary had all the fulfillment she got from her kids. And if Mary had more kids, that little boy who would just destroy all of her furniture. And poor Mary gets to have all these nice things because she wasn't able to have her dream of having more kids. Robin gets to be the hero. And again, for the millionth time, mention front and center how she offered to be Mary's surrogate. How now, because of her, the hero facilitating this, 
Mary has that choice. She is going to give that to Mary. That's how wonderful Robin is. That's what a hero she is. How loving she is. She fake cries as she asks, would Mary have those nice things anymore if she had more kids? Would there be scratch marks of when a little boy just scratched his name into her nice furniture? Robin can imagine that it would be hard. As much as kids are a lot of work and a lot of burden, they also fill your heart and they fill your life. Yes, Robin the hero, white knighting for Mary and taking every opportunity she possibly can to mention that she is the mother Teresa who offered to be Mary's surrogate. Next. Logan, Janelle, and Cody are going to UNLV to check out the campus. Cody thinks that Logan is biased. He doesn't think that Logan is interested in UNLV. And Cody thinks SUU is a culture that Logan will always struggle to fit in with because he is a plague kid and that campus and that area is predominantly Mormon and the Mormons don't like the FLDS polygamists that much. It's a point of contention. They don't jive well. And Janelle says the general culture in Utah is very distrustful of people who practice their faith. They are considered outsiders there in Utah. There is a lot of prejudice there. So Janelle thinks their kids have always carried this in the back of their minds and they have felt it from their peers. Cody feels the culture of UNLV will be so diverse that no one will even care that Logan is a plague kid. The campus is right next to the strip and it's mind-blowing to Cody. Logan coins the phrase scholastics and sin when Cody brings this up, but Cody doubts many of the students spend much time at the strip. He thinks maybe they do one or two trips and then they've had their fill and they're back to studying. I doubt that. Logan was surprised by UNLV. He pictured a dirty asphalt jungle off the side of the strip, but the campus is beautiful. Logan loves it. Logan, Janelle, and Cody meet the tour guide, and Janelle feels that if she was in college, she would send the best representation, and Kylie, the tour guide, was amazing. Janelle feels she was well-spoken, she was smart, she was well-educated, and Logan probably thinks Kylie is cute. Logan wants to know about the student body organizations. He wants to know about the clubs. Janelle thinks Kylie is attractive. So Janelle says she is sure Logan really responded to the fact that the tour guide was cute. So that's going to be a selling point for UNLV. Logan recounts that when he first went into the public school system and he hung out with girls, there was one incident where a girl found out he was a son of a polygamist and they totally shied away from him. That turned her off and that really hurt Logan. Of course, Cody loves the campus. Cody's impressed by the architecture at UNLV and the greenery. He says it looks good. The campus looks good. Cody loves it, loves it, loves it. Not a complaint in the world. The tour guide has never met polygamists before This was the first time, and she always thought that polygamists were things in movies, people in movies, and she was expecting something very different. She wasn't expecting a normal family. She says she would think that there would be a lot of dysfunction, but the family was nice. They were all welcoming, and she says Logan is nice. He's welcoming, and he's open. He's excited, and she feels 
college will be great for Logan to branch out and experience new things. She can obviously tell that Logan has been a little sheltered, maybe a little parentified even. Logan has now totally changed his opinion on UNLV. He doesn't want to stay in Vegas. He's anxious to be out of high school and out of Vegas, away from his family. But being at UNLV kind of makes him want to stay here. Logan thinks UNLV would be great socially. There will be much more going on. There are going to be more people at UNLV. It's a more crowded campus. Vegas is in the backyard. It's going to be more diverse. Logan just wants to party. He's excited that there's going to be more people. There's going to be more going on in Vegas. It's in Vegas. The strip is in the backyard. There's going to be a lot more parties. Logan just wants to party and who can blame him? Logan thinks the biggest difference between UNLV and SUU is UNLV has a lot more students than SUU, so it's more diverse. At SUU, it's smaller, it's less diverse, it's more rural, and there are less diverse cultural ideas and less diverse beliefs than in Vegas. It's quieter at SUU. There is less to come up against than in Vegas. In Vegas, you're going to find a little bit of everything There will be a lot more diversity. Logan tells his parents that he isn't sure where he should go on the car ride home from campus. And he asks his parents what he should do. What should he decide? Logan admits to his parents he is confused and he wants his parents to tell him where he should go. And Janelle thought, no, 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 danger, danger, danger. Don't say anything. She wants Logan to make up his mind himself. And Cody says... This is one of those deals where you want to tell him what to do, but you need to let him choose. So Cody told Logan, son, this is a decision you have got to make. He has to make it on his own. And Cody says, having been in a position in life where he needed to learn how to make his own decisions when his parents were making decisions for him, it wasn't good. So Cody feels they needed to let Logan decide for himself. But Cody says he will apply the necessary pressure. So basically he will manipulate and bait Logan to make the choice he wants him to make. But he's going to make Logan think he's going to make the decision himself. So Cody will apply necessary pressure, but Logan still has to decide for himself. Cody says it's just like them and their kids and their faith. Cody is going to make them own their decisions about their faith, whatever they choose. They have to find their way to understand their faith and their own perspective of God themselves. And they have to understand how to worship on their own. Cody will push his kids in his direction as much as he can. He thinks all parents do that. All parents try to push their kids to decide like them. So Cody's tactic is tell the kids that they have to decide, but pressure and push them to do things the way you want them to do them, ultimately. Next, Cody and the wives are meeting Mona at the cul-de-sac to put earnest money down on the properties. Robin explains how all four of the wives are cutting a check from their own personal checking accounts today. She wants it known she wrote a check from her own personal checking account today. Cody explains that the earnest money, the importance of it, is as simple as this. 
They are guaranteeing that they are getting financing within 30 days and the seller is going to hold these properties until they can do it. If one of these properties sells, it's over. They need four lots and four homes. Three won't do it. So they have to commit. They have to commit together. They have to commit together and they have to commit now by writing these checks. They have started the clock ticking on their 30-day timeline to get financing. Mona first has the wives decide which family is on which lot. So they have to figure out who goes where on the four lots. Christine explains that it's an exciting first step. It's important for them to sign the actual paperwork for the house they each choose. They each signed for their exact lot today and did the paperwork for that exact lot that's going to be going to them specifically. Mary's concern was that Leo doesn't want a room that gets too much sun. So that was her primary concern when picking a lot, that Leo's room doesn't get too much sun. Robin and Janelle want the homes opposite to the sun setting. Christine wants a view of the city lights. Cody explains that they had to decide who was getting what lot to live on that day, right then and there. Mona warns the Browns that this makes it official. The addresses got assigned today. Robin gets lot six. All four wives wrote a check, and it's like Cody is writing four checks, he says. The wives think this is scary, and Mona warns. If they think this is scary, they should wait till closing. Robin feels it's like they got the courage to make a big step, and when they make the big step, it's like, okay, let's just go for it. Mary takes lot seven behind Robin. Mary feels like she has been standoffish with her excitement for getting into these homes. Mary is reluctant to be excited. She hesitates because there is a lot involved. She has had past experiences that make her hesitate a bit more. Mary wasn't nervous about writing a check, but she feels like she has to be careful with her emotions and she has to really protect herself because she knows what's happened in the past. Janelle takes lot eight when she was writing the check. She felt, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then when she handed the check to Mona, then she felt it was done. It was easy. Janelle was nervous writing the check. Christine is up and she takes lot nine. The financial side of this is stressful for Christine, but when she thinks of the reality that they will all be living there, that finally they can be together and the kids can be together, then Christine is imagining all the kids running on the back lawn and in all the backyards where everything is connected and they will finally, finally all have free access to each other. For Christine, that is priceless. Christine has everybody go stand on their lots on the cul-de-sac to see where everyone's going to be. And Cody feels that it's funny that right now they are signing these papers and they are kind of scared writing these checks. They have talked about how they felt free when they got to Vegas. And now this is just putting their roots into their freedom, the freedom that they got when they got to Vegas. And he says it might be silly, but this gave Cody this emotional and physical response, the putting down of the roots in Vegas where they fled to for freedom. 
Cody jogged the perimeter of all of the lots in the cul-de-sac to feel the freedom. Cody ran from lot to lot to symbolize how their homes are all connected and to a background of a slow motion Cody running through the cul-de-sac, they play a weird Christian sounding song about blessings and grace and they have to give it the sentimental touch. Cody is running from property to property in slow motion like a madman with this sentimental weird Christian song playing in the background, acoustic. It's about blessings and grace. And Cody's barely their hair is swaying in the breeze as he looks like a lunatic running from property to property. And Cody thinks they all agree that the need to have their family really close together is paramount in their lives. Cody says they used to have that all the time in Utah. He used to be able to walk from house to house to say hi to everybody. And he says nine times out of 10, there was never a major issue in Utah. But if there was a major issue, he was right there and he could deal with it. It was more of being present with his entire family. And Cody has had times in Vegas where he has gone an entire five days with not even seeing a wife. Cody feels these properties are a big deal to him and to all of them. Cody says he ran to get his stink on the place to market, and he asks his wives in confessional if he looked stupid running, and his wives say no as they cheer him on in the scene. The dog has to piss to mark his territory, to mark the edge of his fire hydrant, just as the alpha male marks his cul-de-sac. The wives hold up their 5K checks and they pose with Kotex as Mona snaps a photo. Next, the family is gathered for Garrison's birthday over at Janelle's house. Everyone is waiting for Logan to make his college announcement over at Janelle's. Everybody is very invested in it and Cody says, nobody wants Logan to go to SUU. And he asks of his wives, Who wants Logan to go to UNLV? He raises his hand. Christine raises her hand. Robin raises her hand to vote in confessional. But Mary and Janelle don't participate. And Cody wants to know why they aren't piping up. Janelle has to stay neutral. And Mary thinks it's just totally Logan's choice. Logan wants to be social. And he fears that if he goes to UNLV, then it's only going to be about a social life. And no one is going to want to go there to get an education. So he's worried his education might suffer for his social life. But if he goes to SUU, there won't be anything to do. There won't be a great social life. And he's going to be surrounded by a bunch of LDS. And they're not the biggest partiers. And he says neither of the choices are perfect. So he just has to pick one. He has to pick the one he thinks is going to be best for him. The family really wants to entice Logan to pick UNLV. So they're teasing Logan. The family got together and they have something in mind to just help sway Logan a little bit. So they all got a bunch of UNLV gear and they're putting on their supportive clothing for their choice of Logan's college that they would prefer him to choose. They bought a bunch of UNLV gear, t-shirts and merch, and anyone who wants Logan to stay home is going to wear the UNLV crap. Everyone comes out all wearing their UNLV gear. 
Some very hyper kids are shouting UNLV in Logan's face at the top of their lungs. Cody explains that before Logan makes his decision, he wants to tell the family that they have put earnest money on these homes so that he can even further influence Logan's decision to go to UNLV. They flash back to the scene of the kids flying the snowflake kites on the initial cul-de-sac property that fell through before this one. Robin explains that they took the kids back to the property where they want to build the houses at Christmas time and they wanted to put their good magic there. Robin hopes the kids are starting to invest in this emotionally because she says all the adults are invested in this. They're invested emotionally. It's exciting. So Cody announces to the kids that he doesn't want to influence Logan's answer, but he announces that they made an earnest money agreement to make offers on the homes. They put money down on the homes, but the kids have no reaction. They really aren't excited. They seem very skeptical. Janelle says it was a disaster with the kids, and Cody doesn't feel like he should have to sell a gift to his kids. Cody got with the kids and he's really frustrated. He says they were antagonistic. They were asking really like being doubtful, having an attitude when Cody told them that they were getting these homes. The kids weren't excited and Cody's pissed that it wasn't the reaction he was expecting. The reason the kids were cynical and hesitant and unexcited and they had trepidation is the last time they took the kids to fly the kites on the cul-de-sac They made it seem like it was almost a done deal that they were getting these homes and then a home sold and the financing wasn't a good choice for them and it fell through and the kids were already sold on this and they were very invested in it emotionally and the parents made it seem like it was almost a done deal and the kids trusted the parents at their word and that fell through. So now it's like the boy who cried wolf. The wives put money down but the kids know it ain't over until it's over it ain't over until the fat lady has sung and the fat lady hasn't sung yet so they are doubtful they don't trust it and hunter asks cody what the real probability is he wants the real odds of actually getting the homes cody explains to the kids that the real probability is that they just gambled this money on the idea that they will get the homes that's how much they believe they will be able to get them Cody is super, super put off and angry and frustrated that the kids aren't excited. And Mary lets Cody know. She knows this is a sensitive spot for him, but she doesn't think the kids are being ungrateful. She thinks the kids have valid excuses, valid reasons for questioning it. Of course, because last time it fell through. Mary says the kids wonder if the adults are really telling them this because it's really happening saying that they're going to get these homes, or if it's just maybe possibly going to happen. Mary says the kids are trying to figure out where the adults are with it, how sure they are since last time they were almost sure and it didn't happen. Now, Mary explains that some of the kids are kind of concerned about how excited they should be about this. Maddie explains that that's because the adults always say stuff that never happens and they've done it so many times. They say things and then they never come to fruition and it's happened over and over and over. Cody reminds the kids that they all lived in the house in Lehigh. He assures them, well, didn't we get the Lehigh house? Didn't we all live there? And Maddie says the adults always say stuff that never 
happens. Mary explains that the kids have been told many times that they're going to do something and then for whatever reasons, whether it's a situational reason or a financial reason or familial reasons, things sometimes fall through. It just happens. Things don't happen sometimes that they tell the kids will happen. Unfortunately, that just happens in this family. And Cody assures his kids that he is 95% sure that they will get these homes. And Cody now wants to see if the homes influenced Logan at all. If, If the homes influenced Logan's decision. Did Cody's bait, did Cody's manipulation work on Logan? Logan appreciates everyone's support. He says he's glad that they are making steps towards getting these houses, but he intends to get out on his own. He really wants to live on his own and break free. He thinks as far as financial opportunities and a more diverse environment goes, he has decided to attend UNLV. And of course, UNLV is cheaper because it's in-state tuition. If he went to SUU, that would have been out of state, so... Everyone cheers. Everyone is ecstatic that Logan, even though he's moving out of the house and he wants his independence, he's still going to be local. He's still going to go to UNLV and everyone's super excited about that. And Cody looks pissed that Logan isn't going to be living at home. Logan assures everyone, even if he wasn't picking UNLV, he would still be around. Logan issues a warning to his family. He warns the kids and adults that when he goes to UNLV, He's going to be close by. He may not live at home, but he needs them all to treat him like a college student. In other words, he doesn't want to be parentified. He doesn't want to have responsibilities. He wants to live an independent, young adult life. He's going to be 18. He wants to be free, and I don't blame him. He's basically telling them, I'm going to be here. I'll visit, but don't expect things from me. Don't rely on me. Don't expect me to be responsible for anything. Don't expect me to be parentified. I have my own life to go live, and he should. So I think this is great. Cody says he was excited that Logan chose UNLV. And once he did that, Cody really wanted to assure Logan that the family won't hold him back. Cody is so glad that Logan is at least going to be close to home. And Robin is so excited that Logan made this decision. Cody is ecstatic, probably in my opinion, because it's less tuition than an out-of-state school would be even if Logan doesn't live at home. Cody says if they get these homes and they are all moved in next to each other and they start to reestablish their family culture, Logan being so close will get to be a part of that so that someday when he moves far away, when he has a wife and kids, he will then be more inclined to visit and to come home and to get that nostalgic experience of, wow, I remember having these experiences in this home and it's nice to be back. Cody really wants to plant roots and create a home environment so that his kids have those memories and that nostalgia that they can come back to. I think he, in his mind, thinks these Vegas homes will be just like Lehigh. They'll reunite my family. They'll reset my family. We'll get our rich culture back. We'll get our closeness back. And my kids will just go to UNLV and they'll live at home until they're married and they'll never leave home. And even when they leave, they'll come back. Where did that sense of love and obligation and commitment to his family go in later seasons as Cody is referring to his wives and kids as the obstacles to his goals in life? What happened to that? 
Now, we know Cody used to wax poetic and get very sentimental about how he envisioned his family as he got older, that he would be there with his grandkids, that he always wanted to have his older kids always come visit. He always pictured that he would be the hub where his older kids would come visit. And now he's in a situation where all three of his wives have left him. He's only with the one wife, the favorite wife, Robin, in a monogamous situation where she treats him as her best customer to make the marriage work, basically appeasing him, giving him ego feasts, feeding him ego feasts to try and keep him buying the manipulation and bullshit that she sells. But Cody has severed a lot of the relationships with his older kids. And he's changed his attitude towards his kids. Even with Gabe and Garrison during the Rona, he was very eager to kick them out. He was hoping he could cut ties with them, get rid of them, evict them, just because they refused to follow his rigid protocols. They refused to bend the knee. They refused to kiss the ring of him and the ring of his favorite wife, separate wife, the goblin. So Cody went from being sentimental and acting like he was really into his family, wanting them to come back with their wives and kids when they grow up and they're older and they're out of the house and really be the center and really be the root of the family tree to calling his wives and kids the obstacles to his goals in life. And with a lot of his older kids, the relationships are so severed that apparently he doesn't communicate with them that often. So it's interesting the turn that the dynamics took in the family. Next, they flash back to all the kids running with their snowflake kites in the cul-de-sac site that fell through before this one. And Cody says, they just promised their kids that they're getting these homes. They promised Logan that he will have a home to come to from college. And they use that home as bait in Logan's decision to stay and attend UNLV, even though he might not be living at home. Janelle says, if they somehow fail on this, they will have no credibility with the kids on big promises. Janelle understands how important it is to fulfill this to maintain the kids having trust in them and faith in them. And Mary also understands this. She understands why the kids are hesitant to really trust them at this point. And they're going to lose all credibility if this doesn't work out. So Cody says they have 30 days to do an entire laundry list of things in order to finance these homes. They have 30 days to do it. They lit that fuse on the bomb and the bomb bay doors have opened and they are just getting prepared to drop it. If this was preparing to drop the bomb, then was last season of Sister Wives the nuclear attack? Cody basically has no family left to speak of. That does it for this episode. I'll be back next week with the next episode of my Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives Season 5, Episode 1, Polygamous Death Threat, where Robin's financial situation threatens the family's dream of living happily ever after in their perfect little corner of the world in the Vegas cul-de-sac. Soon there will be talk of aliases and wet bars and Victoria's Secret debt. It's going to be so exhilarating. To my YouTube listeners, please like, subscribe, and let me know your thoughts in the comment section if you like. To my podcast listeners, don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you listen and rate it with all the stars. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye.